Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, we have quite the show here. A lot of different things that we need to get to, touch on. Uh, awful lot has happened uh, since the last time we've talked. And uh, not really referring to the bowl game either. We'll uh, we'll give it a cursory three minutes or so, but uh, really most of the conversation tonight uh, will be about the staff, composition of the staff, and maybe what type of information we can glean uh, from what uh, Norvell's been able to do in his first month. And it'll also be a lot about uh, part of the roster that he was able to retain. So, uh, speaking of retention, let's thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Uh, 100% retention there and the fact that they've been with us since day one and been a uh, vital element to the Nolcast being able to enjoy some of the success that it has. So, as always, want to thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. And uh, with that, Bud, why don't we uh, put a quick little recap on the old Tony the Tiger Bowl and uh, jump into some of the more positive conversations. Yeah, uh, Florida State loses to Arizona State. That's kind of what I think we thought would happen. Uh, a little bit lower scoring than I expected uh, to have happened, but you got that many guys out. I, I don't think Florida State on the whole uh, cared about this bowl game. And, you know, you got some kids crying at the end and, and all this, you know, go, taking to Twitter, oh, I'll, I won't let you down next year and all that kind of stuff, which is emotional you know, thing. Some of those players will definitely let you down in the future, and some of them probably won't. Right? That's just human nature, and nobody's perfect. But you can't tell me that Florida State really cared about this bowl game in terms of its prep for the bowl game, right? You had all these coaches looking elsewhere. You had players considering their futures. Um, it, pretty fragmented team that they didn't care about this bowl game, and I think it honestly showed in how sloppy they were. Right? Um, so I. I don't know. I'm just strangely like not bothered by the loss because I didn't really pretty inconsequential exhibition game uh, from from my standpoint. Um, saw a lot of stuff on Twitter like this means James Blackman can never play for you again. I'm like really? I mean, he made some really bad throws. He also had a kid turn the turn the wrong way on, on a pick six, I think. And you know, I, I just I don't know. And he possibly played with a concussion, you know. I mean, I, I don't need to make excuses for James. If he if it works out for him, that's great. If not, uh, certainly wish him the best. And it was a uh, you know a rough reminder of some of his streaks and weaknesses. Um, but you know what I have noticed? What's that? And by the way, I didn't get to tell you Happy New Year, but uh, Happy New Year to you and to all of our listeners out there. Um, I've noticed, I checked the inbox today. Have you noticed a lack of people asking us to reconsider our uh, preseason expectations and bump them up to like that 8-4, and 9-3 and three range? Uh, I haven't today, no. Uh, certainly some of the things that we'll get into have spurred some of that talk. And uh, hey, look, we're not going to deny the absolute uh, success and really the statement of intent in general uh, that's been tied to Florida State football over the last month or so. Um, but yeah, at the same time, yesterday's a, a reminder uh, that there's some talent out there on the roster and also a reminder that there are some real uh, holes and uh, some real big challenges to, to overcome in the pursuit of just being an above average uh, football team. Absolutely, man. So, uh, yeah, I, again, I don't think bowl games matter. I really wouldn't base your opinion on what this team is going to do on anything that happened in the bowl game. To me, that is the uh, probably the least important game of Florida State's entire season for evaluation purposes and for projection purposes. Maybe you can argue the Alabama State game since, you know, I mean, it was Alabama State. Uh, but 
that's certainly the least important FBS game you're going to play all year. And we see this around college football. I mean, this is a lot of these teams just don't really get up for these bowl games anymore. And there's no doubt Arizona State had more to play uh, more to play for, and they ended up winning it. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I wish Odell could have won it. That would have been cool for him. Um, the coaching in that game, the game management, some of his decisions on both sides. But, I mean, Herm Edwards, too. Uh, yikes. That was – whoo, boy. Um, hmm. There's a reason Odell is not a head coach, and Herm Edwards certainly didn't coach like a head coach in that game. There's a – I think I first watched my first Florida State game when I was seven, and from about the uh, time when I'm nine to ten years old on, uh, I have some recollection of – Pretty much every game played and can tell you um, with an idea as to what happened. I I can't remember a period in those uh, 25 years or so that I was less interested in a game or concerned about the results of. Uh, so uh, it's just a strange kind of pivot point in time uh, where if you're looking at it from a positive perspective, you're just kind of ending – ending an era of a lot of frustration and confusion and uh hopefully this is but a, a transition point and uh all bowl games are uh, obviously unless you're playing in a playoff uh, all bowl games are pretty much just glorified scrimmages at this point in time and uh with a departing staff and some of the uniqueness that existed uh with this bowl game it's as it's as uninterested as i've been in a game and I just don't think we should waste a whole lot of people's time with a with a thorough breakdown of it or any kind of big things to take away from it. Unfortunately, there is uh, one aspect that we need to discuss, uh, and that is the injury to uh, to Lucas. That looked like a, that looked like maybe a possible broken ankle, or something like that. That's a situation that could be uh, disappointing in the fact that it could keep him out of spring. Uh, and that was one of your real positive notes uh, on the offensive line all year. And it's just a continued theme that, uh, by Lord, if there's two things that we can uh, break tendencies of this year, one, it's uh, very like consequential and impactful injuries. And two, I can't remember from game one to the end of the bowl game, uh, a team having worse kind of fumble slash bounce luck as far as so many balls hitting the ground and just bouncing back into people's hands almost in stride. So uh, obviously one's kind of a anecdotal joke. And the, the uh, first one, the injury one, is uh, really disappointing as far as how much it limited Florida State. And uh, for Lucas, it will be somewhat of a governor on his uh, progression and the fact that he will possibly at least be missing spring. Yeah, man, that and that's that really sucked for his development because he had a a solid true freshman season. Um, and you end up having, you had Maurice Smith in there playing offensive line. And go back to the signing day show we did. We're like, yeah, you know what, Maurice Smith's not a bad take. He's a guy who I think it's good to get in your program. He's a dude who has a three star. He, he plays hard. He's gonna he's gonna make sure your five stars don't slack off, right? But he, you don't really want him in the lineup until at least like year three or year four at this level. And he's in he's playing for you. I mean. There's a reason this is a four-year rebuild on the offensive line, and I don't really take pleasure in saying that, but there's been nothing there to change my mind over the last two years. So, um, yeah, well wishes to Dante, uh, clearly a a kid who I like a whole lot, and and you do hope that that he heals fast, and um, uh, I'm sure he'll bounce back and, and be a really good player in the future. Anything else you want to uh, take away from the bowl game before we transition into some of the staff conversation? 
Ooh. You know what? I'm going to say uh, Akeem Dent looked a hell of a lot better player at corner than safety. And uh, that was a nice thing to see. That was a guy but that by the end of the year, um, I think there was a reasonable amount of, uh, of kind of frustration with both level of play and some of the decisions that were being made on the field. Looked looked a much more natural player at, at defensive back, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And the interesting thing there – Ingram is that he he played safety in high school, right? I mean he was he played corner and seven on, but in actual games with pads he was a safety. So from the staff's perspective, and I I agree with you, he looked more comfortable. There's no doubt. Um, is it annoying that it took him that long to figure it out? Kind of. Although they definitely needed more more help at safety than he did corner this year. But like if you're the staff, you're like, wait a second, this kid played a lot of safety in high school. I mean, it would make sense to as far as helping him ease the transition to, to keep playing him at safety. But for whatever reason, he really didn't seem to pick it up uh, as well. And I, I have pretty high hopes for this defensive backfield over the next couple of years. I and mean, I think Asante Samuel is a good football player. Uh, I think the defense, if you want hope for next year's team, I think the defense is an area that you can look at. And you can say, okay, uh, pass rusher, potentially a major liability. Um, I mean, they were recruiting to a 3-4, whether they would admit it or not. And now they're not running the three four, so you really didn't get a whole lot of like hand in the dirt edge type guys. But I mean, I think Travis J could have an impact. Dent could have an impact. Um, Asante Samuel, I think, is going is a good player for you. I think Fagan comes back, correct? He was a junior, so he should be back. I think, uh, or maybe he was a senior. I'm sorry, uh, but like you have some nice pieces there in the secondary. Hamsa, if if he comes back, which I. I assume he will just because of that injury, but I, I can't you know, guarantee that. Um, I'm I'm excited to see what what, what what the secondary does. By the way, one one final note on motivation and bulls. Uh, a lot of people have thought you know this is the playoff era and the playoff change. And I, I think to some extent that's true, but uh, it's not like it was one way for the history of college football and then totally different now. In fact, for the vast majority of college football, did you know that the national champion was actually awarded? Before the bowls, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know this. Like the the title being awarded post bowl uh, is actually a relatively new thing. Um, so kind of neat, and uh, and yeah, hopefully Florida State next year will be in a bowl that's uh, that's a little bit better than this. And and I I think under your first you know first year coach Norvell, if you make a bowl, and I I think they have a good chance to do so, um, you'll probably be more motivated to play in it because you're you're. You're actually building something, as opposed to this felt kind of like the culmination of an era, a pretty short era, as it was. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, during the Jimbo era, if there was one bowl game that I would point to that was significant, maybe two, uh, but it would be the first two. It would be the USC, uh, South Carolina, and uh, certainly felt like the Notre Dame uh, bowl game was was kind of, if a bowl game could be significant, maybe those two were, and it was referencing a program that was really kind of starting to turn and uh, displaying that had ability to beat uh, the SEC East champ and a really talented roster and then a Notre Dame team that was a, a pretty decent team in their own right. And that Notre Dame team would actually go to the national title the next year. Yes. And doesn't, yeah, <laughs> get, rocked. get absolutely destroyed. That's one of the worst matchups. We've Not seen. that we wouldn't have, of course. I mean, that uh, I think anybody I, you put I in front of that team wanted to night. touch that Alabama team, but the fact that they had to <laughs> they had to throw Notre Dame into a national championship meat grinder was just a, a little bit of a 
uh, an odd twist there. One thing that's not an odd twist is uh, for us to be able to work with our friends at Madison Social. Um, just fantastic place, fantastic team, uh, great food. And that's, you know, we talk about uh, drink specials and things that they do, events. But really, uh, it's just a consistent, fantastic place. So you can go know that you're going to get a great burger, uh, sports on the on the TV, uh, upscale pub food with a twist. Uh, fantastic partners for us and uh, people that we would always ask that you put on your list, uh, whether you live in Tallahassee or you make the uh, you know trip up there two to four times a year. I, I I'm really. Uh... I don't think I've ever gone to Matzo and not had a good time and a good good meal and a good experience. So go there, check it out, guys. Seriously, it, it's it's awesome and and uh, we're, we're proud to have them as our sponsor for yet another year. All right, uh, so Ingram, there's been a lot of staff changes since uh, since we last spoke. I, I was trying to think here. I think the last time that we did a pod together was uh, it was before early signing period, right? I think because I did I did the the quick like the quickie early signing period instant reaction and then we did the uh, the bowl game preview. Do we do we do one in between there? Yeah, we've had something up uh, five or six days ago. Some of these coaches that we talked about have been made official. Um, some of them are still out there, and then we've got a couple kind of official news on people headed uh, outside the program. Let's start the kind of the staff conversation with Josh Storms, strength coach that was uh, really assumed all along that he would be joining uh, to see a head coach leave without a strength coach is a is a pretty big rarity. And uh, Storms, look, anytime you transition from one regime to another, you're going to talk about, hey, this strength coach way you know significantly better and all these things but I, I don't think you necessarily have to engage in that conversation to uh to be able to have kind of an objectively true conversation that you're you're probably going to be able to experience a significant uptick uh in that program and storms certainly has qualifications that the previous guy uh did not when it just came to a, a pure resume comparison yeah and, and yet you know i mean Oregon was extremely pleased with the on-field results that Coach O got there, other than the, you know, the the the, in, the instant stuff, right? Uh, to me, it's, it's all about buy-in, and, and Storms I think has more more degrees and whatnot and certifications than than Coach O did for sure. But it it's about buy-in. Like, why was Coach O better than, than Coach than, than the guy he replaced in Coach Vic, at least initially? Because he got buy-in in terms of guys going to workouts more. I mean, dudes didn't show up to workouts in, in 16 and 17 quite a bit. Towards the end here, I don't think he got the same level of buy-in. I have to think that Coach Storms is going to get better buy-in now than, than Coach O's been getting over like the last half year. And so he should see an uptick. It, but this is true. You're exactly right. Like All fan bases always are like, oh, the strength program is going to be so much better. Uh, I mean, a lot of it's kind of like what you're willing to do and what kind of money you're you're willing to spend on it, right? Um, how many how many strength coaches do you actually have? How much personal attention do these guys have? Do you have ways to compel their attendance to to come lift, right? I mean, it's it's hard to make it mandatory officially, but there are there are ways. Um, so yeah, I, I think we'll see an improvement on, under Coach Storms. Um, Simply, really, honestly, due to buy-in. I mean, I don't have any evidence that he is one of these guys who who gets out the deer antler spray, kind of like a couple of these programs do, 
I mean, I, looking at like the Memphis team, they don't they don't pop off the screen to me as like, like an extremely uh, jacked team, uh, even by you know group of five standards. But I mean, clearly Norvell trusts him, and I, at this point, because of the success that Norvell has had in hiring, I'm I'm pretty uh, open to trusting the hires that Norvell makes, assuming that they're like his first or second choice and. Uh, some really positive news. I was speaking with some people, uh, and they were telling me that, as far as they can tell, uh, Norvell is getting his first choice on pretty much every coaching hire that he's made so far, with the exception of the offensive line, where he wanted to get Ryan Silverfield and, and didn't um, didn't get him. Now, I think internally, he's actually not gotten his first choice on, on, on a couple of those people, and has had to dip down to second or third or, or maybe in one case a fourth choice and you know there, there's some skepticism there on my part as far as some of those internal stuff but as far as the on-field coaching guys and, and the strength coach I mean if he had wanted to get a different strength coach I think Florida State would have okayed it no problem and he wanted coach Storms and he's done a good job of hiring in his prior prior stops so I, I think you got to trust him and you got to trust Coach Storms, I guess, to bring in good, good you know, assistant strength guys with him that'll get the players motivated to, to get out there and lift and um, and transform. Next guy that uh, has been made official is TJ Rushing, a defensive backs coach, somebody that we've mentioned uh, kind of from the beginning of this process, uh, a name that had been out there, and uh, again, another guy that's uh, going to follow Norvell and, and make up uh, part of this staff. Yeah, so they did make him officially uh, official. I, I think we did talk about him in the prior episode. That that was something people were like, hey, are you sure that the T-Buck wasn't your first choice? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's who Mike Norvell wanted, and you have to assume that Coach Fuller has also signed off on that, given that he just worked with the guy uh, at, at Memphis. So, um, yeah, let, let's we'll go ahead and, and uh, I guess, move on quickly to uh, to Alex Atkins, who comes over from Charlotte. Did we, we already mentioned Atkins on the previous show. I think we mentioned the name. We mentioned Atkins uh, recently that we thought he was going to be on the staff. He is um, <clears throat> somebody that is really highly thought of and somebody that you don't always say this with an offensive line coach, but um, somebody who has the potential to be a head coach, and in my opinion, a head coach in a relatively recent uh, window of time. He's a guy that's an up-and-comer and, comer and uh, a guy that was a real big get. Uh, we talked about him being from UNC Charlotte and O-line slash OC and uh, really highly regarded. A, a rising star and somebody that uh, I think you can have an awful lot of excitement surrounding his his uh, hiring becoming official. I, I think I relayed this story. I, I have a buddy on, on the, uh, the Charlotte staff and I'd asked him about Atkins and, and he's like, Oh man, really? Like for he was, he's like, that sucks, man. He's like, you guys are gonna love him. I was like, oh wow, that's that's like really high praise. So he was not happy to lose Alex. I mean, he's happy for him, but not happy uh, to lose him. So that seems pretty solid. I have to think the coach Chris Thompson, who's a very accomplished coach, he's gonna be coaching tight ends now. But uh, my guess is that w- w- when they go when they go in, inside run, period. At practice, I don't know if y'all have ever been to a football practice, but you know they'll they'll do run period inside a run period. Um, well, the tight ends are involved in that, so there's a good chance that Coach Thompson is going to be looking at tight ends, and then also he'll probably have an eye on the guy who lines up next to the tight end, which is the tackle. And, and 
this offensive line needs all the help it can get in terms of talent infusion, but also in terms of coaching. And um, you can never have too much of that. So I, I think that's like so far, you got to be fairly impressed by the, the staff that Norvell's bringing in if you believe in Norvell's ability to make good hires. And I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt track record wise because of all the good guys that he had hired away from him at Memphis. Now, some people have asked, and, and I'll, I'll throw this off you. Are you worried about sort of the lack of Power Five uh, coaches on this staff, right? Like guys who are, are, are really known names. Um, not not very much. No, I mean, I, maybe I'm just drinking the Kool Aid here, but I've been impressed with Norvell's ability to uh, look and assess talent. Previously, um, he's bringing some guys with him. He's also brought, uh, you know. Linebackers coach from the SEC, decent chance that one of the skill, uh, skill position coaches uh, is another position coach from the SEC. Um, I think that there's a. I, I don't think you have to be drinking the you know the garnet and gold Kool Aid, uh, and that you're necessarily dismissing uh, a lower level of experience to be excited about what he's been able to do. It's a legitimate concern, uh, but overall, I'm exceptionally high on the staff that they've put together so far. So let me ask you this. If you did not know about Norvell's track record of hiring, how concerned would you be just looking at these names? Um, if if I'm still able to look at their track record, I mean, look, Fuller's resume, if, if I were able to view that just on a blind CV, I'd be doing backflips. Uh, that's ridiculous, some of the things that he's been able to do. Uh, but no, it would not, it would, my optimism would be, uh, pulled back a little bit if it weren't for some of Norvell's past uh, ability to identify, develop coaching talent. All right, that's fair. Um, another note here is that analyst uh, Mario Edwards is no longer on the staff. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind that decision by Norvell. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. Uh, I know he's a knoll, but uh, you got to get your people in there, not just people who are, you know, knolls, right? And they already have you know plenty of people inside that building who played Florida State or, or went to Florida State. But one thing pretty cool here I, that I'm looking at is, um, and this is where I think some of our extended discussion will, will come tonight. They, they brought in two analysts who were actually uh, actually left coaching positions at uh, at not at P5 schools but at G5 schools to come be analyst uh, with with Tony Tokars, who leaves Memphis tight end coaching position to come be the offensive analyst, and uh, Mike Trier, who was the corners coach at Marshall, obviously had worked under under Coach Fuller, uh, who's now the D.C. here at FSU, when Fuller was at Marshall, and he's left um, left Marshall to come be the uh, the defensive analyst. So I pulled up their, uh, their salaries, actually, because both those schools are public schools, and uh, Tokars was making 105000 and Trier was making 98000 So... Uh, that's at least encouraging that their uh, their Florida State is willing to pay uh, pay that. I, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on on those moves. No man, <clears throat> when you combine some of the stuff that they've done with the analyst position, and then you throw that together with the addition of Bruce Warwick on the staff, I mean, this is a again. Uh, I'll circle back to a phrase I used a second ago. I, I think we've seen nothing less than a pretty clear statement of intent. Uh, from Florida State, that there's going to be some resources behind this pursuit and that you can't, again, I, I don't want to use the term money ball, but you can't 
cut cost in that of which the whole machine is based off of. Uh, and I think there's been a, um, I think there's been a, a broad buy-in as to what's needed uh, to be competitive and really impressed that they were able to bring position coaches to analyst roles. I'm sure that's a little bit with a handshake uh, that these gentlemen will be, you know, the first to be considered once uh, position coaches become available on either side of their ball. Uh, but great additions. And uh, Warwick is just a – man, that's – that is a hell of a name to be able to add to a chief of staff or any kind of position like that. Uh, and really impressed that both Norvell was able to bring him and Florida State was able to provide a, a package that uh, he felt comfortable leaving the NFL for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I now I don't buy into this idea that like he's your next AD um, personally, but I do like the idea that he'll be basically being like your your football ops guy with maybe some expanded duties and, and a little more managerial side. Uh, basically, how it's explained to me is is you know, facilities, but also uh, travel, organization, practice schedules, things like that. But making sure, hey, like the, the training staff knows what, what exactly when the practice is going to be, and uh, the basically everybody knowing what they need to know and knowing and knowing it on time uh, is important. That's a large organization you have to run, so he'll, he'll be overseeing some people, and it, it can probably take some stuff off Coach Norvell's plate. So I, I'm I'm certainly glad to see that they went out. And made that higher. Uh, we don't talk about other podcasts too often, um, but I, I want to bring this up because I do think that this is uh, interesting. Bruce Feldman, who gets like behind the scenes access at a lot of schools, and Stuart Mandel, who is the, the uh, editor in chief of the Athletic, um, they have this podcast called The Audible. And in the most recent episode of The Audible, or at least as of this recording, I'll, I'll pull up what it was called just so I can I can share this. I, I, I promise you, I'm going, I have a point here. Um, and I would have asked him to share the audio if I could, but a little bit too late tonight. The, the episode title was College Football Playoff Fallout National Championship Preview and Coaching Carousel Update. And it's in the back half of, the, uh, of their show. Uh, but they talked about just how big the staffs are for some of these major programs, right? Like a Georgia, LSU is now there. They put Clemson in that bucket Bama. I don't think Florida State's anywhere close to the size of those staffs. But they were talking about, hey, like, you know, LSU has a, a tight end analyst who was extremely uh, integral in the recruitment of uh, Arik Gilbert, who's like the number one tight end in the country this year. And he's a guy who would be a like a P5 tight end, like not a G5 coach, but like a P5 coach easily. But LSU's paying up and, and keeping him. And Bruce's point was, He's like, look, talent-wise, there's only a couple teams that can win the title. But I really think, I mean, honestly, and this is him saying this, he's like, there's only a certain number of, of teams that have just the like the super staff level, which allows you to have that incredible attention to detail and having nothing fall through the cracks. And those are the teams that are winning the national title. And they came up with like five names. They're like, It's really kind of Bama, LSU, Georgia, although Georgia seems to have some issues with kind of internal player conduct uh, going on. And this recruiting class they're bringing in is uh, not going to help uh, as far as those concerns uh, at all. Jeez. Ohio State and Clemson. Well, I think Florida State is still a long ways off from those schools in terms of its spending on, on its shadow staff. I bet you that, uh, that Norvell sharing an agent with Willie Taggart 
in, in Jimmy Sexton actually really helped for this. Because I, I guarantee you, if I was the previous coach, I would tell my agent, hey, man, like we just got talk, done talking to these guys and we had our, our concerns about what Jimbo Fisher was saying about how they wouldn't do this and they wouldn't do that. And they assured us that this was BS, right? And that they gave them this, they gave them that, and they gave them that, which is cool. But then not only did they, like, okay, yeah, they didn't give, give you above and beyond what, what they gave Jimbo, but then they immediately cut positions out from under you and let good people walk for raises of like five and $10,000 to other major schools like a Georgia or a Clemson or an LSU. That, uh, Willie made a lot of mistakes that doomed him, independent of that. But I guarantee you, uh, if that bothered him, that his agent heard about it. And that agent is Mike Norvell's agent. So I'll just throw out a little guess here, Ingram. There's probably a pretty good chance that Sexton was like, hey, we're not going to play this game where you, where you bean counter of an AD, try and cut the legs out from one of my clients again immediately upon hiring him with all this budget cut nonsense. Like, so we're, we're going to need assurances that we're going to have this much for off field, we're going to have these positions, et cetera. Um, and I think we're seeing some of that. There's, there's still levels. They can still level it up, certainly. But you think Sexton knows about it? I'll, uh, I'll say that if the lesson wasn't learned uh, internally, then Sexton was more than happy to, <laughs> to, uh, to let it be learned externally. But I, I think Florida State uh, would, would go back and do some things differently as far as how they've allocated some resources towards football if they could. Yeah, you can't, you can't spending cut your way to a title. Right, like cut some other sports. This is the sport that makes all the money. Um, speaking of, of spending money and, and cutting, I like when when rates get cut. Help helps me get an even better mortgage on my house. I got mine through Resolution Home Loans. Just talking to Shannon the other day, he's like, "Hey, we got another set of T-shirts. We get, we got to get out before the end of the year." And I was like, "Man, another one." I'm just I'm like living at the post office these days. We we should really get like a Stamps.com sponsorship for this thing, just because of how many of these packages. I'm sending out to people who have, have received their home loans through resolution. You guys should do it as well. 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. It's the great rate. I mean, we know numbers matter. If you guys listen to this show, you probably like numbers. It's also the, the personal customer service and the expert knowledge. I mean, when, when I got mine, Shannon was texting me every day, hey, I, I think we're doing good as far as letting this thing float. Let, let, let this thing float. All right, looking at some of the analytics here, we're, we're probably going to let this thing float again. And then one day he's like, hey. We need to lock this thing down. Let's go ahead and lock in this rate. And we did. So it's that kind of personal cu- personal customer service I don't think you're going to get at some of the bigger mortgage houses. So give Shannon a call, 844-FSU-LOAN. All right, bud. With that, let's transition to uh, a little bit of roster talk. Uh, the biggest name that has uh, become official is uh, a name that will be familiar, at least in some people's uh Minds that of Jay Sean Corbin. Corbin's a kid originally from Florida who was an early Florida State commitment, if I remember correctly, and then ultimately followed uh, Jimbo Fisher and Jay Graham to College Station. Uh, Corbin announced on uh, Twitter, was it was it Christmas or maybe day after Christmas, uh, that he's entered both into the transfer portal and chosen to transfer to Florida State. So uh, a talented running back who uh, is a nice add. But there's certainly some some issues that we probably need to talk with as far as uh, when you might see that talent and uh, and that there's going to need to be a fairly significant rehab here. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I, I really like like Corbin as a player. He had a tremendous senior year uh, for his team, and, and that was a quite the coup 
that that A and M pulled there on signing day when they got him, and it was extremely unfortunate to see him go down with that injury. It was that was the Clemson game, wasn't it? I think um, for them early this year. Uh, so, I, in case you guys haven't followed me on Twitter at Bud Elliott three, um, I've been at the Under Armour All America events this week, which is you know seeing the current seniors who mostly have just signed and. Then also the future fifty, but but I got to speak to a lot of the, the people who cover different teams and compare notes and whatnot. And uh, um, the A and M people who cover A and M love Corbin, so they're they're very much uh, they're sad to see him go. Um, but they said, hey, like um, you know, he has he had like a like a pretty serious injury, and there's no guarantee that he was going to be uh, fully healthy at all uh, to play for A and M. This year, so it was really kind of a long-term thing if they were going to keep him. And I, I don't, I don't believe just asking them was like, did they push this kid out? And my A&M guy said no. So I, I don't think it's like one where you know they were super angry to see him go, but but I also don't think it's one where they they tried to push him out to free up the roster spot to, to sign somebody else, especially not because uh, Jimbo and A&M missed on Zach Evans, who I believe has actually silently signed with Georgia and will announce. Um, probably tomorrow night or well by the time you hear this he'll announce tonight for georgia on national tv uh the other thing is that some people had put out there that he was going to be eligible for this year because he redshirted uh for for the 2019 season and by my reading of the rule i'm pretty sure that's not true i i think he's almost exactly like the jordan travis situation where travis had redshirted and then elected to transfer and he was going to have to sit out his year of residency at the new school, which is what the transfer rule says, unless he gets a waiver. Uh, I don't see anything about if you re- if you redshirted at, at your prior school that it counts. Um, so, yeah, I'm not really sure where that comes from. Um, maybe just blind optimism by, by some fans out there or something. But I did note in the – I don't know. Did, did you see the statement Norvell put out about this? Uh, he specifically said how important it was for Corbin to get back to his family, which, like, my kind of lawyer wheel started spinning here. I'm like, hmm, okay, that sounds like somebody perhaps laying the groundwork for uh, for a transfer uh, or for a waiver claim, right? Um, maybe he has somebody he has to get back to to be near his family. Uh, so uh, we'll see. My guess is that they will apply for a waiver, but I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure that we'll see Deshaun Corbin on the field in Florida State. Not not guaranteeing it uh, in 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 the 2020 year. A because I don't know how healthy he's going to be, and B I don't think he's eligible as of now. I think he actually needs to win that waiver claim. Another name that uh, recently has joined Florida State is Devonta Taylor, uh, FIU offensive lineman. I've seen him both uh, listed as a tackle and a guard, but. Uh, Florida State obviously needs uh, bodies in general along the offensive line, but as a massive premium for tackles, uh, where exactly do you see Taylor projecting? And um, to use kind of a baseline point of comparison, would you compare him uh, or where would you compare him versus somebody like Roberts of this year? Yeah, I, I, I would project him at tackle. I, I don't think Florida State is going to pursue guards in the transfer portal unless they're like just otherworldly good. And if they are... I, mean, I got news for you. They're probably not going to come to Florida State because it's not a team chasing a, 
a title, be that division, conference, or, or national, uh, this year, right? Um, just realistically, that's unlikely to, to get a stud stud in the portal to come to you this year. If there is a stud in the portal, he's probably going to go to like an Oklahoma or an LSU at this point because they're actually, you know, like it's your last ride. You're, you're the grad transfer. You want to chase an actual title and play on the biggest of stages, which Florida State's not going to be doing in 2020. But I, I think he could be on the Ryan Roberts level, and Ryan Roberts was a below-average player in the ACC, but he was still FSU's best tackle, which says a lot. Um, you know, I was talking to one of the, the coaches on the staff and the, the new guys, and I was like, I, I think there's actually most position groups here are fairly solid. There's not a lot of huge holes in the lineup. The the one obvious one is, is offensive tackle. And, I mean, you'll see it when you get out there, but, like, they have just, like, they don't have people who measure up by ACC standards at all at tackle. They just, they don't. Um, on, on the roster, so obviously they're trying to address this with uh, with Devonte Taylor. I think he was like honorable mention All Sun Belt, which okay. I mean, realistically here, the Sun Belt doesn't produce any defensive linemen going into the league. So, and the ACC produces a ton of them. We'll have to see how he reacts to that. He did get to play in their game against Miami, uh, and he had some good blocks in that game. I think he's a better runner than he is, or excuse me, a, a better run blocker than a pass blocker. But, man, anytime you get a guy who's actually shown that he can be competent on a football field, like if he's below average by ACC standards next year, you're taking that all day and you're trying to clone him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I don't want any of these current tackles on this roster starting on, in, in 2020. So go out and find another one. Stanford Samuels the third announced that he is uh, going pro. So uh, certainly wish him the best. Disappointing year. Uh, have to wonder how much uh, better Samuels could have been with a higher level of consistent uh, higher-end coaching. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, I want him to do the best of things, but uh, it's certainly frustrating that uh, you never felt like you really scratched the potential out of uh, what was there coming out of high school. Yeah, I, I was surprised uh, about him going somewhat, but like the guy's played a lot of college football now. He might just think he is what he is. He probably doesn't want to go through yet another defensive coordinator change, and I have a hard time blaming him for that. I mean, how many how many DCs has Stanford Samuels had here now? Like three in three years, basically. If you count Levitt as sort of the the pseudo DC, I I think so. Um, so I I don't I don't like I I understand why he would do it. I don't know if it's the best decision for him, but we'll. I guess we'll see what, what, what the draft people have to say. Uh, if you're going to lose a guy, I think losing a guy in the secondary is potentially uh, a spot where you can most most readily absorb the blow and, and not have it tank your season. Because uh, I, I do think they're they're fairly talented in the secondary. I, that's one of the positions that I think will, will improve quite a bit next year uh, with uh, more cohesive coaching and, and a more straightforward vision about what they're going to do. And I say that knowing that it's year one and there's going to be all kinds of growing pains and bumps, right? Like this is not going to be a smooth operating machine simply because the new coach is organized. It's still year one. Like look at year one anywhere. There's a lot of bumps in the road typically, and that'll be the case here. But I think that they can absorb the blow pretty well at Stanford Samuels. He's a guy I've always liked a lot, and I do wish him the best going, uh, going to the NFL. 
I want to take a moment here to tell you about Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson is a board-certified family law attorney with over a decade of experience in the field of family law. He's part, obviously, of the Metter & Johnson law firm and a proud supporter of the Nolcast. So whether you're going through a divorce, maybe you have property division issues, alimony questions, child support visitation, these are all really serious issues. And getting a good attorney somebody who's experienced, who's handled your type of case before, and who's literally an expert in it, right? I mean, board certified. That's important. Take down this number. You may need it. 850-435-9919. That's 850-435-9919. For Travis Johnson of the Metter & Johnson Law Firm, cases throughout the state, he'll come to you. We are uh, ever so fortunate to be able to work with uh, Travis Johnson, and let's let's take that name and bounce it off uh, <laughs> another defensive tackle who, uh, hey, maybe has a chance to go down in the in the lineage of uh, fantastic defensive tackles. Uh, Marvin Wilson, unexpected. Uh, certainly, had been some some rumblings about that, but uh, man, that is a hell of a get. Uh, real big deal. Hats off to uh, everybody involved there. Uh, and this is the period of the podcast where maybe we are, we don't necessarily like bathe ourselves in, in optimism and don't necessarily lose uh, control with this. But this is this is a, a something to be legitimately excited about because it helps you next year. Uh, it's indicative of some great things going on uh, as far as buy-in at every level of the program. And that is a hell of a player who has a chance to let you be competitive in games uh, that just, look, you give me a dominant defensive tackle, that can make up for an awful lot of deficiency else, elsewhere. And uh, getting Marvin to come back is a, is a real big deal and uh, a lot of fun to be able to talk about. Absolutely, it is. I, I'm I'm extremely impressed that they got him to come back. Uh, I my first question was like, wait, what? He's coming back? Uh, okay, that's. And I had heard some people say that, but like they're always like super optimistic people about everything, so it's hard to take them seriously. Uh, I, I did like a quick Twitter search. Uh, I think Deshaun Reed of the Athletic said that that uh, he had received a high grade, I believe, uh, NFL Draft Scout. I guess uh, just based on Twitter, uh, people are, and this is my Twitter search said it revealed people saying that NFL Draft Scout said that he received a fourth round grade, which I think now anymore you just get like day one, day two, or return to school. Which return to school would mean fourth round or worse grade? Uh, I know he has some stuff to work on against the run, but man, Marvin Wilson's a really good player. I I have a hard time thinking that he would get out of the top 100 picks in the draft. Um, I, mean, I know he's had some injury concerns here, but he's a D tackle. He's going to get banged around. It, it, it happens. That's a really, really big deal for this defense next year. Um, it just he'll he'll help you get. I don't know. Maybe one more stop per game. Maybe one touchdown turns into a field goal. Maybe one field goal turns into a punt. But he's a he's a really big deal to this defense and somebody who fans should be very excited about. It, it makes me a lot more optimistic about this team next year. Specifically because I do feel like at many positions, Coach Taggart and staff did a good job of getting guys who can at least play, right? Like not having guys who are just totally incompetent out there and, and getting some dudes who are actually good at high school ball as opposed to just purely projection, which 
can lead to some really high-end players for which Jimbo's staff deserve credit. But also, if you go too heavily into just the all-upside projection side, you get some positions like Florida State had there. I think conversely here, I don't think Willie, Willie and his staff got enough real high-impact guys. And they had a lot of guys who were just solid players. So getting Marvin Wilson back, who I, I feel is a true you know, high-impact guy, is a really big deal. And I, I mean, it makes me a lot more confident for it. Everybody's like, hey, can you get a revised prediction? And I'm, I'll, I think I'll give one after we talk about the next guy here. But it's certainly going up, man. I mean, it, it's it's going up quite a bit. So uh, you want to talk uh, You talk about Tamari and Terry coming back as well? Yeah, Tamari uh, and obviously if everybody's got in the back of their mind a, a fumble right now, but uh, you should also have the, <laughs> the 91-yard touchdown in the back of your mind as well. Uh, Terry, a great piece. Who, who look, I, to circle back to Marvin real quickly, fourth-round uh, fourth grade, my rear end. I, I simply don't believe that. Some uh, Two different people that I've talked with in the NFL have that guy uh, – as high as maybe 25 on some team's board and as low as 55 on another. I, I don't see that guy really making it out of the second round, uh, much less the third. Terry, I do think, uh, has a lot of work to do and uh, would do well um, on some of the physical testings, but also uh, I could see him potentially being more likely to have gotten a grade that did not reflect where he thought he would. Um, there's a lot of little simple things that Terry can continue to work on uh, overall a physical freak uh, as fast as a, a guy you're going to see at that size and um, a really nice piece to be able to work around. So yeah, uh, Marvin obviously is in my opinion, the more impactful, uh, but Terry gives you a really exceptional piece to be able to build uh, and stretch defenses with. And so those are two great pieces that, uh, can really be kind of the foundations to which Norvell builds around in year one. Absolutely, man. I, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Terry, I think, is a dude who could really flourish in Norvell's offense. They, they do like like to push the ball vertically down the field. They, they do it in a different way than uh, than, than the Browse offense did. Uh, granted, I think any offense would have looked kind of like this one looked with the guys you have blocking, but Terry... Terry has that deep speed, and it's not just quickness. It's it's all out speed that really makes you kind of makes you nervous as a defense, and that, that's that's huge to have him come back. Him coming back makes a lot more sense too. We've seen several guys across the country now at the receiver position elect to come back simply because this is such a good receiver class. I mean, uh, there, there's just so many guys you can name who are better football players than than Tamari and Terry who are entering this draft. It, it's the, the supply is quite high. Of, of elite receivers here, and, and it makes sense for uh, for him to come back there. Uh, so definitely something that, uh, that that I'm excited about. Let me ask you this, though. Uh, if you're Norvell, before those guys came back, you, you had to kind of be awfully tempted to go youth movement, didn't you? Especially with, with your two freshman quarterbacks, maybe, maybe play them you know, each, I don't know, 500 snaps and and really kind of get a read for what you have in them game time and like you know you're not really going to contend for anything it, it, it year three of Trevor at Clemson and you like yeah you're, you're not going to win your division or, or your league uh, might as well try to use it as like a really strong evaluation and building year D- does getting guys like Wilson and Terry come back change your opinion 
on what you should do? Do you feel like you owe it to them to to absolutely play the guy that helps you uh, try to win the most games as opposed to you know getting good experience for for your two freshmen? What what are your thoughts on that? I don't think you I don't think you necessarily spend the uh, you know the energy and emotional resources necessary to bring somebody like Marvin Wilson back uh, to then throw into a total rebuild. You know, I mean, I, I think you're you're interested in in both winning tomorrow and winning today. And uh, I agree that there's there's points on the roster that you kind of need to completely uh, cut down to base level to see what you have and try to build it up from there. Uh, but those two pieces are indicative of a of a coaching staff who wants to have every piece available to try to win uh, as much as possible from day one. I I think that that's that's fair. Um, to what end do you pursue this? Then, like, do you go out and try to get like like another grad transfer quarterback, uh, assuming that you don't think Blackman can play, or maybe I mean, obviously you're going to evaluate Blackman when, when spring football practice comes around, and, and you'll see how he looks in your offense but uh i mean are you just all out trying to trying to trying to win this year at the expense of getting the young guys snaps well i'm I'm sure in some way there's there's you can do both i mean you can try to see what you have in uh chubba and and build up uh some of these pieces i think you're still in the graduate transfer market for a running back almost certainly uh as well you know, if, if you sit down across the table to to talk Marvin Wilson to coming back, uh, I, I think you're doing that with a intended purpose, and that is to win football games. And credit to an institution who's able to sit down with Marvin Wilson and come out with an agreement towards trying to win some football games. That's a that's well done to everybody involved. One thing it really does too is. I think if you did decide to roll with, with your two with your two freshman quarterbacks, I, I think it still gives you a really good shot of making a bowl game because you have a Terry and, and a Wilson who are are game changer type guys. If you didn't have them and then you decided to go youth movement, I think the chance that you could miss a bowl would be, you know, decent because your schedule's got a lot of teams that you're just not much better than um, if if you are better than them. So. I don't know about you, but I've definitely increased, and this is kind of crazy to do it this far out because you don't know who's going to be on the roster. I don't even know who's going to be the quarterback at this point, but just kind of eyeballing it back of the napkin math. I, I think I've actually moved Florida State up like almost a full win with with Wilson and Terry coming back. I think I was at like 5.7 and 6.3, uh, and now I'm at like 6.7. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty nice. I mean, that, that's... That basically, to me, means seven and five is more likely than five and seven. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a Marvin Wilson, in my opinion, and Terry helps, and I'm I'm not trying to dis- discount him, but Marvin's close to a, a full plus one for me as well. That's that's a guy that can just look. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do when you've got uh, the you know the best player on the football field is the other team's defensive tackle. There's there's, there's not a whole lot of uh, creative smoke that can be blown, and that's a guy that can flat out help you win games uh, at a level that there's not another piece on the roster that you could have tried to keep uh, that would have been anywhere near as influential as the retention of Marvin. So, uh, a lot of a lot of excitement tied to that. And hey, let's hope in uh, a month from now we can sit back and 
have another conversation about an adjusted win level because Florida State was able to bring in a you know an additional offensive tackle and maybe somebody that would start on the interior of their offensive line as well. So a uh, lot of a lot of eyes at this point transfer to uh, to the portal and trying to see what other kind of stop pieces or stop gaps that can be found in this transition period before Norvell is really able to bring in his first class. Absolutely, man. Uh, we're going to go ahead and save the recruiting talk for the next episode. Uh, I did get to go to the Future 50 uh, event there at, uh, at the Marriott uh, in, in Orlando, but uh, on Thursday I'm heading out. Wait, what? today's Wednesday. Yeah, so Thursday I'm heading out uh, and heading to San Antonio, and I'll be at the underclassmen combine and learning about all the players for next year, getting to see who's grown a whole lot over the summer and fall that maybe I didn't get to see. Uh, during this football season, and uh, it should be exciting. And we'll have some uh, we'll have some good stuff for you, including, by the way, some audio of some people uh, taking and asking kids questions that are just like totally oh, obvious to where it's like fantastic. this kid has no interest in Florida State at all, and yet you just badger the hell out of him until he finally says, "Oh yeah, I'm very interested in Florida State." Like just basically saying it to just so, so the person will go away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward um, to that. And and I, and I'll I'll compare it. I'll I'll let you all hear the questions I ask, which I try to ask open ended questions, so you get get the actual response from the kid. Um, to where it's like, oh, okay, huh? So the schools he says he's actually interested in are Bama and LSU and Oklahoma, with some interest in Georgia, and didn't mention Florida State at all until he was asked about it repeatedly. So. That'll be fun. Uh, I very much look forward to it. So uh, thank you to, to you, the listener. Um, any kind of opportunity to leave five-star review on iTunes, much appreciated. Thank you to our sponsors. Uh, look forward to being able to talk to you once you go out to Texas, bud. And uh, may the optimistic chatter continue. Till next time.